credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Stuff You Should Know is recorded in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the whammo-bammo double episode about sitcoms, probably the most important thing in any of our lives. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is sort of our homage to the, more specifically, the American multi-camera studio audience sitcom, even though we're going to talk a little bit about other forms of the genre. Yeah, the Brits come up here or there, maybe a Kiwi appearance. Mm. <laughs> uh, and what we're going to try to do, everybody, is do this sitcom style and record two 30-minute episodes. I don't know if they're going to be 22 minutes, including the ads. But, <laughs> that, uh, would be a, that would be a stroke <laughs> of genius. But we're going to do our best, which means we're probably not going to do listener mail. And let's get right to it, right? Yeah, let's. We're talking sitcoms, and just right out of the gate, we should explain what a sitcom is. Everybody knows what a sitcom is, but if you stop and think about the word, it's actually a portmanteau of situation and comedy, a sitcom. That's right. Uh, and it's a very, you know, Ed helped us put this together. It, It is definitely a portmanteau that some studio executive no doubt came up with. Right. Because it's kind of dumb sounding. Like, it's a c- comedy about a situation. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying, but at the same time, I think it actually does aptly sub- uh, describe sitcoms sure. because every sitcom, the basis of it is you have your main characters in some sort of dilemma situation, and then by the end of the episode, that dilemma situation is resolved. The situation is resolved, a sitcom. Generally, yeah. Uh, and it looks like that people in the industry were using this term maybe even back in the radio days of the 1950s. Uh, because it comes up in print kind of for the public's eyeballs in early 1964, uh, from the best we can tell in Life magazine uh, and the Chicago Tribune, where they talk about uh, what a sitcom is and kind of have to explain it to the to people. Right. But they do indicate that it's, it's sort of been used as industry uh, slang for a little while. Right, exactly. So um, there are certain things that do, like, make a sitcom a sitcom. And – you know, they started out as very basic and then kind of built along the way. And then as, you know, writers uh, started to come of age having grown up on sitcoms, they learned to kind of play with the format more and more yeah. and create all sorts of different takes on sitcoms. But there are some basic structures to ev- basically every sitcom that's ever existed. Yeah. And this is kind of fun because, like, Ed nailed a lot of this and some stuff 
as a sitcom guy, I was like, Mm-mm, not quite right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nervous now. I know. He did a great job, though. Uh, well, first of all, he points out that it's a comedy, of course. That's um, sort of the obvious one. Uh, mm. They are a half hour long, which is why these episodes will be a half hour long. Yeah, I, Chuck, I looked for a one hour sitcom and it just does not exist. The closest I saw was Love Boat. And I don't know if you could really call Love Boat a sitcom. I think Love Boat defied genre in some ways. It, it, it definitely <laughs> did, for sure. From what I saw, it was the only one-hour show that had a laugh track. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, the laugh track, I think you can look forward to a shorty on Wednesday, right? Yep, definitely. All about the laugh track. Uh, so the situation, and again, these are generalizations. The form has been tweaked and subverted over the years, but it is almost always about a uh, smallish group of people Mm -hmm. um not always a family but many many times it's a family sometimes it's a group of friends obviously the the uh workplace comedy is going to be colleagues but many many sitcoms especially in the heyday of sitcoms were about families yeah and um the basic structure from what i saw the minimum essentially is four you you want to have four characters and there's actually a set of types for those four characters there's the hero the anti-hero the love interest and the buddy and this pops up everywhere from married with children to seinfeld but then obviously of course people have toyed with that because there were six friends i think there were six characters on um, How I Met Your Mother. There's a bunch of them on Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Simpsons are far and away one of the best sitcoms ever. Oh, yeah. And they have myriad characters who can have their own episodes based on them. Still four in the family, though. That's true. Yeah. So so that seems to be kind of the nucleus that everything else grows from as far as the number of characters. Yeah, I was looking back at the four thing, and it is interesting because you look at Seinfeld and All in the Family – uh, I Love Lucy had the two couples. The Honeymooners yep. had the two couples. I think Dick Van Dyke had two couples as well. Well, he had himself and Laura Petrie, his wife, Mary Tyler Moore. And then he had Rosemarie. I can't remember what her character's name was. And then I can't remember what. So he worked with a woman and a man, and they formed the other two characters. Oh, uh, right, right, right. They weren't a couple, though, right? No, they weren't. They okay. were just buddies. All right. It's been a while since I've seen that. But they all had sex with each other, right? Well, yeah, in every episode, they would end it. It got really graphic, especially for the 50s. It got very weird. Uh, As far as the format goes, (laughs) there is, uh, like, if you're a screenwriter or you're reading a script of a a sitcom, I mean, scripts are formulaic no matter what. But sitcom scripts are really, really formulaic Mm -hmm. uh, in that they are 22 minutes long. The there's an A storyline, which is, you know, sort of the main plot of that episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have at least a B storyline. Um, and sometimes that's it. But sometimes you'll have C storylines, maybe even a D storyline. But kind of traditionally, you've got an A and a B. And Ed points out that, and he's kind of right in some ways, that uh, generally the storylines are resolved in each episode. Mm-hmm. But... Over the years, that really sort of fluctuated as far as you had running plot lines that would last kind of a season, whether it's are this character and that character going to get together or right. one might get pregnant. And so that season sort of has a recurring storyline about them having a baby. But generally what you wanted in a sitcom was to be able to watch them in any order and still 
enjoy the show. Yeah, like if you if you watch any episode of Gilligan's Island or Mr. Ed or even the Adams family, like there's you can watch them in any order and they're every episode's gonna make sense. Yeah. Because they were generally designed to stand alone, featuring the same characters. And the way that they do that, I saw there's two TV tropes associated with this, Chuck. One is the reset button, mm-hmm. which is where that dilemma or situation the characters are put in becomes fully resolved by the end of the episode and things go back to normal. That's the reset button. Then there's a snapback where things aren't necessarily resolved, but in the next episode, everything's back to normal regardless as if nothing happened previously. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, occasionally you might hear a reference, but sitcoms are famous. Like, you never heard Arnold and Willis in subsequent seasons saying, hey, remember that time we were almost molested? (laughs) Right, right. That was crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah, they don't reference that stuff. No, and, and then we'll get a little more into like those kind of serious episodes of sitcoms because those were landmark episodes for a reason. But the, the reset is is a pretty funny trope, I think. Totally. Um, and then there's really a big distinction in how they're shot. There's really yeah. two ways that they're shot. And they're they're kind of wrapped up, or they're named, I should say, by the original ways that these sitcoms were shot. And they're called um, one camera or three camera. And you would think that three camera would seem like the more innovative, expansive kind of sitcom. And it's actually the opposite. The three camera one is what the traditional sitcom is, is filmed as, right? Yeah, and they, they kind of say multi-camera <clears> these <throat> days. But if you're talking about the old school, live in front of a studio audience, uh, what you have is this, and I have to bring up the fact that I was on one. I was on Dear John. I was on one, too. Were you really? Well, stuff you should know. Yeah. Or <laughs> right, I guess I was on two then. Yeah, you were. Uh, yeah, well, ours was, we'll talk about ours in a minute. But um, if you're talking the live in front of a studio audience thing, uh, what you have is this uh, very long, wide stage with bleachers where people sit. Mm-hmm. And then in front of that, you have usually two or three permanent sets uh, and what's called a swing set, which they would bring in each week. So what's the swing set? Well, on like, let's say Cheers would have uh, always, of course, the bar and then like Sam's office were probably permanent sets. Okay. And a swing set might be like if that episode they dined out at a restaurant or something like that. Gotcha. So it's something that you could like, it's kind of generic. You could strip down and repurpose it in many different ways. Yeah. And they bring in these set walls and redress them. But like, let's say Seinfeld obviously would be Jerry's apartment and the diner Mm -hmm. would be the permanent sets. And if like the season where George worked for the Yankees, his, his office set would be a swing set that would be just sort of stored and wheeled off and preserved because you want to, you don't want to have to redo all that stuff every time. Right. Gotcha. But sometimes it was just like one week only that would be like an antique shop or something. Or in mm-hmm. my case on Dear John, it was a restaurant mm-hmm. uh, that I played a busboy in. And <laughs> I was texting with my brother, actually, Scott has a, you know, he worked on Dear John and had a lot of experience on some of these shows. And he said there were always at least two permanent sets. He said some shows had as many as four. I think he thought, uh, what's the one with Charlie Sheen that I never watched? Uh, Two and a Half Men. Yeah, I think he said Two and a Half Men had what he thought was four permanent sets. Wow. And it all kind of depended on how big these the the stages were where they shot it. Um and like, also how how well funded the the, uh, the sure. show was too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then like something like Seinfeld, they all the street scenes and stuff like that, they shot those on the adjacent backlots. And in 
when they shot the real shows uh, in front of an audience, they would they would show those bits on the TV screen while they're like changing over just so the audience would sort of be able to follow along. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk a little more about the different camera setups, right? That dis- that distinguish the two basically the two types of sitcoms a little more in a minute. But do you want to talk about the origins of sitcoms? Yeah. Should we take a break? Like <gasps> sitcom style? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> we'll be right back after this word from Ben Gay. <laughs> Wanna learn about a pterosaur and call it pterodactyl? How to take a perfect movement all about fractals? Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, the Lizzie Borden murders and the cannibal runs. Gonna explain everything to your brain. Explode, just chuck, and jive. This stuff you should know. Word up, Jerry. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. (laughs) And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. 
that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. Okay, we're back and we're talking sitcoms. And everybody thinks TV when you think of sitcoms. But it turns out that sitcoms have their origin further back than that uh, on in radio. And actually, it goes even further back than that to vaudeville. But the first even contours of a sitcom is found in a 1926 radio show called Sam and Henry, which became much more famous after it changed its name to Amos and Andy. And a lot of people say that was probably the first sitcom because it had recurring characters. There were situations that the characters were put in, catchphrases. That's another big, you know, kind of trademark of um, of sitcoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you can get America saying like one of your character sayings to one another, like you've got a hit show on your hands, you know? Get a load of him. <laughs> it was always something dumb like that, I guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, like Sanford and Son had to be Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. Are you a big dummy? Yeah, <laughs> you big dummy. <laughs> oh, man. I love that show so much. Yeah, it's a good show. Uh, I believe some, I mean, there's, you talk to different people about sort of what the first sitcoms were. And you're going to get some different answers. Uh, one is certainly going to be one called Fibber McGee and Molly. Mm-hmm. And it had, again, all the ingredients that you might think of as like typically sitcom. Uh, although that was a radio show that only had a brief appearance on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had shows like The Honeymooners, of course. One called Mary Kay and Johnny uh, that a lot of people say was the first sitcom. That's where I put my money. Yeah, but when you ask a lot of people what really broke it open as far as the genre goes, I think most people will say, I love Lucy. For sure, which I think debuted in 1951, and it changed everything, as we'll talk about in a second. But we have to shout out Pinwright's Progress, which was a BBC sitcom that uh, aired in 1946. So it beat Mary Kay and Johnny by a year, but no one knows what it's about because no, no one... No one preserved any of the episodes. Yeah, it's funny. It seems like the UK and the United States are far and away the leaders in the genre because I did look up other countries. It's never been that big in Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there are examples, of course, but the UK and the US just ate it up for some reason. Yeah, it's like dueling banjos. Yeah. (laughs) Who's the guitar player and who's the banjo player? I think it changes from time to time, okay. depending on the quality of the shows put out. <laughs> but I said something, Chuck, that I think is really important. Pinwright's Progress, mm-hmm. I, 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 it's probably a falsity to say that no one knows what it was about, but I don't believe there's anyone alive probably. I've never heard of it. Who's seen it. I hadn't heard of it either. Yeah. The reason why no one's seen it is because in the early days of television, we're talking like the late 40s, um, even mid-40s, they would just 
broadcast the thing live. Yeah. And you sat down in front of your TV and you watched that thing and it never existed again. That's it's so the weird kind to of thing about. that, yeah, our friend Alex from Ephemeral has probably done an episode on this kind of thing. Yeah. Great show, by the way. Everyone should check that out. But that's how they that's how they made shows originally, right? And then finally they're like, okay, we've got two coasts here. Most TV shows were broadcast in New York or filmed in New York live. But you know, they were at like say eight PM on a Friday mm-hmm. and most Angelinos and San Franciscans didn't want to rush home from work to catch, you know, the latest um, Mary Kay and Johnny. Right. <laughs> so they figured out that they needed to somehow preserve that show so that they could send it off to the West Coast. And they came up with something called Kinescope, the lowest hanging fruit they yeah. could have reached. Yeah. Some some executive said, why don't we just show it on a TV and then film that television screen yeah. with a camera, with a 35 millimeter film camera. And the frame rates are going to be weird, and it's going to look terrible, but at least we can broadcast it on the West Coast. And they did that for a while, and that was sort of the first um, the first time that the that they were both coasts were able to watch the same show. Yeah, and Chuck, it sounds kludgy. It gets even kludgier. At, at like at first, there was no way to actually broadcast from the East Coast to the West Coast, or vice versa, for the first few years of television. So they would film that that show off of TV onto film, and then they would take that reel and mail it yeah. out west <laughs> for them to show. And then finally, in 1951, AT and T came up with a coaxial cable that allowed for the first transcontinental broadcast. Amazing. But even still, they were using kinescope, and they they used sometimes what was called hot kinescope because the film had just been developed within the three hours before they needed to broadcast it to the West Coast. That's how fast they were turning it around. Man, I bet there was a lot of tension (laughs) to turn that stuff around, you know? And and they didn't even have cocaine in the industry yet. (laughs) No, they were just taking it as medicine at the time. (laughs) That's true, yeah. Uh, so when, what really broke things open and what, uh, as a landmark show, both, you know, as a comedy and technically, was I Love Lucy. And I looked a little bit more into this uh, while they developed this three-camera setup. Mm-hmm. Um, it was because of Philip Morris. They were the sponsor of the show, mm-hmm. and they didn't want um, – they thought that there were more smokers – well, I think they had data that said – that more people smoked uh, east of Chicago, uh, apparently out west. It, I mean, obviously people smoked back then, but not like they did in the northeast and on the east coast. Okay. So they didn't want the show to be shot okay. and produced live in Hollywood. That's why they really wanted it in New York City. Um, at the same time, Desi Arnaz and Lucy, I think Lucy was pregnant. They also wanted uh, to stay in L.A., so there was a bit of a butting head situation of sponsor versus like a TV star, mm-hmm. and they worked it out with this three-camera format. Yeah, so essentially what they did, so movies were already around at the time, and there was a process for making a movie where you would shoot a scene, take a, a few takes of it, then you would move your camera, relight the scene, um, and then do the same scene from a different angle and so on and so forth until you had the scene and all those things could be edited together. But Lucy and Desi really wanted to have a live audience, to have that energy and that kind of feedback and that laughter that you can only get from a live audience. So they combined that movie-making kind of format with 
a live performance, and they did it by making three static cameras, one wide, one medium, and one for close-ups that they had pointed at the set that they would perform this episode on as if it were like a live stage play. Yeah, and they got in touch with a guy, uh, an Oscar-winning cinematographer and kind of a genius named Carl Freund. And he at first was like, this isn't possible because he was an artist and he was like, it's going to look, at least one of the cameras is going to look bad at all times because you're not lighting for that camera. And they said, you got to work with this, buddy. Like, you you can't be so precious like it's a movie. Uh, (laughs) We're not shooting the Maltese Falcon here. Um, We need to figure out a way to do this. So they came up with this uh, grid lighting system when you're shooting a movie or when you're shooting single camera TV shows, even though Mm -hmm. these days – these multi-cameras on basically everything right? ever since digital came out. But they still call it single camera. You would, and we've been on these shows where you have lights on stands kind of right around what you're shooting. They came up with this grid style system where everything was lit uh, from this lighting grid above the stage. And it didn't look as good. It was sort of flat, but it it was all lit well enough to where it looked okay. And Carl Freund kind of gave in and said, you know, if this is what we're going to do with TV, then it makes sense. We can cover everything all at once. And basically the sort of basis of the genre was born. Yeah, so like everything from Seinfeld to Friends to Frasier to Cheers, they were all filmed as three-camera, and now, like you said, they call it multi-camera sitcoms. Um, That is like the traditional sitcom, and you can ultimately thank Lucy and Desi for that, whereas the one-camera sitcom is the one that you think of as more, it's made more like a film. There's more real world. There's more, um, you know, uh, like on-location shooting. Yeah. It just seems a little more movie-like, like Arrested Development is a good example of a a single-camera sitcom. But, Chuck, I want to give a little shout-out here because everybody thanks Lucy and Desi for everything, for basically creating the format. Mm -hmm. But Mary Kay and Johnny were doing this before Lucy and Desi. Oh, they were multi-camera? They had two cameras, they were doing it live, and they had some poor schmo who was switching between cameras depending on what was happening in the scene live. Can you imagine the stress? (laughs) That's pretty cool. The, the, you know, just having been on Dear John, the, they have it down so well in Hollywood, even though that kind of show is sort of out of fashion now. During the heyday, you know, they, those cameras were on these huge, circular dollies and the cameras were very big mm-hmm. and they would just so fluidly sort of move around to where they, you know, they block it all out ahead of time. So they knew exactly where each camera was supposed to be. And the result is you shoot a 22 minute episode in about an hour or less. Uh, you shoot it in order so the audience can follow along like a play. Yeah. Just like a play. Yeah. And you would, um, you would go back generally at the end of each scene they would do like all right uh they would there would be a few minutes of conferring like and then they'd come out and say all right we're gonna do a a retake of the second part of that scene because we didn't like the way jennifer aniston said this one line and they would all laugh and she would say sorry everybody and it's a very personal like engaging thing like if you never if you've never been to a live taping of a tv show like that even though they're more few and far between, it's a lot of fun to go to because they're right there. They're interacting with you. If they goof up, they'll like say something to the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a really cool experience. But the long and short of it is they'll, they'll be done pretty quickly, even with the retakes. 
Right. So the the multi-camera, three-camera setup is like a stage plate. There's a fixed set or a couple of fixed sets. There's a live studio audience, and they present it basically as if they were putting on a play. There's just a bunch of cameras filming them while they do. That's right. Uh, The clock tells me we need to take our second break. Okay, let's do it. Quick, quick, quick. The good folks at Ben Gay aren't going to wait. Want to learn about a pterosaurus and call it pterodactyl? How to take a perfect boob and all about fractals? Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, the Lizzie Borden murders and the cannibal runs. Don't explain everything to your brain. Explodes. Just Chuck and John. This stuff you should know. Word up, Jerry. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you All right, I guess we should wrap up this episode with a little bit about what is the gold standard for actors and crew members in the film business and always has been. I know they love to work on their super cool streaming shows that are like movies. Mm -hmm. Prestige TV is great. Mm -hmm. But you ask any actor (laughs) what they would rather be doing, and they would say, I want to be on a multi-camera live studio audience show because I work about 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I show up to work at about 8 o'clock every morning. I leave at 5 o'clock every day. Mm-hmm. And we work Monday through Friday. And it's uh, we shoot twenty two at least 22 episodes. And if we get to 100, it has a good chance of going in syndication. And then I'm set for life. Yeah, that seems to be like the sweet spot for syndication. 85 to 100 previous episodes produced and aired. Yeah. And I guess my guess is that... That, that means that the, the syndicating buyer feels like they have enough reruns to really make some hay out of or make their money back from? Is that what this? why it's a sweet spot? I think so. It's like four to five seasons. Uh, Dear John, uh, Scott said that that hit 80 episodes and did have a brief syndication run. Mm-hmm. But he said at the time 100 was really what they kind of shot for. It's still in syndication. I don't remember what channel has oh, really? it, but I, I watched an episode or two of it not too long ago. It was looking for you, but didn't see you yet. <laughs> you didn't see a handsome young bus boy? <laughs> but No, not yet. But it, it is like a surprisingly good unsung show. Like It, it, it was, was great. It had, heart, it. it had really good writing. The yeah. characters were really tight. It was a good, good show for sure. Agreed. Uh, so should we go over kind of the weekly schedule? Absolutely. So Ed uh, ignores Monday and Tuesday for some reason, but... Uh, as someone who <laughs> who worked on a show, and I talked to Scott about it too, um, Mondays is generally when you get a table read. Um, and you know what that is because we were lucky enough to go to a Simpsons table read. Man, thank you again to our <sighs> friend Jesse who got us in there. One of the nicest things anyone's ever done yeah, for us. Yeah, and, and coolest experiences in my life, like easily. <laughs> so cool. Uh, so this is when the actors and the director and the writers all sit down at a big, long table, and they just read through the script. They make little notes. They make little changes. And that's just sort of the first read-through of the week. Um, while this is going on on Monday and Tuesday, they're doing uh, costume fittings and stuff during the day. Uh, they're off to the side, the, the art department and the props, building the swing sets and sort of getting all that ready. And then we hit Wednesday. So, yeah, Wednesday is where everything kind of picks up as far as Ed is concerned. Um, And that's when they really start, um, you know, trying out the script. There's no lighting. There's no cameras. But the director's taking mad notes all over it um, and just basically putting this initial lump of script into, you know, actual order. And then getting ready for Thursday when they do bring in, like, the lights and the cameras and start setting up and trying technical rehearsals. Yeah, and just to be clear, on Wednesday, 
they're not at the table. They're they're moving through the sets at this point, which is the real mm. differentiator. That is a big differentiator. And then one other thing I want to point out, when they bring in the cameras and the uh, lighting and all that, if you think back to I Love Lucy um, or Mary Kay and Johnny, if you want to go even further back for my money, um, you're talking about static cameras that are in one place. And so it's the actors that have to move into exactly the right positions at exactly the right time and look in exactly the right direction to get that close-up or that medium shot or the wide shot exactly how it's supposed to be. That is mind-bogglingly difficult, and they did this every week. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we had to do that. It's called blocking, uh, and you can't stand six inches away from where you're supposed to stand or it'll look goofy. So they have the camera department. Uh, they put tape on the floor, and every actor generally has their own color tape, so you know where to go. Mm-hmm. And the trick as an actor is to be able to go and hit your mark without looking like you're trying to hit your mark. And some people are great at it. Uh, George Clooney has this great story about, I think it was uh, Spencer Tracy, who would be obvious about it. And he said, if you go back and look at Spencer Tracy movies, he would walk in, and right before he got to his mark, he would just look straight down at the floor and kind of go, <laughs> huh? and take a deep breath and look up where he's supposed to. But he played it off like that was just a something the character would do. Well, plus he's just that likable, too. I think so, yeah. But it's pretty fun. Hitting your marks is not easy, and uh, we screwed it up all the time because we didn't know what we were doing. Oh, yeah. I considered it a form of ad-libbing until you finally were like, dude, you have to be. It's really important that you be in the spot they tell you to be. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, so are we at Friday yet? Um, I think Thursday, did you mention Thursday is when they actually light it Yeah, and they're blocking with the camera and everything? Yeah. And then I think that night there was a dress rehearsal. Yeah. They would do a full dress without the cameras. And then Friday is basically like game time because you're going to shoot it that night. Uh, they shoot it in prime time in the evening, uh, but they go through like the full dress, full lighting, full camera and all that stuff during the day. Right. Okay. So then um, Friday afternoon, there's tons of rehearsals. Um, and then Friday night, apparently at 8 p.m. And Chuck, was this just I Love Lucy or is this a standard for the industry? I seem to remember it being more like seven-ish, but um, it may have differed for each show because, you know, you got to fill up the audience. Mm-hmm. There's a, a warm-up comedian that comes out and gets everyone in the laughing mood. So it it, it may have been eight and then also, don't some sitcoms now film multiple episodes in a single day if they can? Well, not not shows like this, not live in front of studio audience. It's just I gotcha. one okay. and done. So Friday night at 7 or 8, they would actually film the episode, and then they would take the film from the three different cameras, I Love Lucy would, and they'd edit it together, and there you go. You'd have an episode that was filmed live in front of a studio audience, but was filmed to tape so that it could be rerun in perpetuity forever and ever. That's right. And the the cast comes out at the end and takes a big bow. And it really is like seeing a play. It's a lot of fun. I highly encourage anyone, you know, it's a, I guess, sort of a touristy thing to do. But if you ever go to L.A., uh, see if you can get in and see a sitcom being shot. It's really, really fun. Very nice. So I guess here ends episode one of our very special two-part episode on sitcoms, don't you think? I think so. Okay, well, everybody, we'll see you on Thursday. And in the meantime, don't forget to listen out for the short stuff on Laugh Tracks coming out tomorrow. All right, in true sitcom form, we're not too happy with the beginning of that last section. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everyone in the audience, so I think we should just go ahead and uh, retake that. Yeah, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it was my fault. So Ed helped us put this together again, and of course he goes through the weekly schedule of how to do a sitcom. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for some reason, he kind of left out Monday and Tuesday. 
Ed don't like Mondays or Tuesdays. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. On behalf of Chuck, Jerry, and I, you've been a wonderful studio audience. We'll see you next week. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.